Sentire media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Special episode 5. The massacre of Montesoli. It is the morning of the 29th of September, 1944. The sky is threatening rain. 16-year-old Lydia Perini, along with her cousin Giorgio, make their way up from Cerpiano to Casaglia in the mountains south of the city of Bologna. They have come seeking refuge from the advancing German troops. The Germans were moving to crush the resistance of the Stella Rossa, the Red Star Partisan Brigade, operating in the area, supported, more or less willingly, by the local population. Lydia and her cousin arrived to find the village deserted and soon discover that everyone is hiding out in the church. The hope is that the occupying troops will burn the houses and other buildings as they have done in the past, but will leave the church alone. The men have mostly gone into hiding. Not only the partisans who, overwhelmed by the German troops, have moved up to Montesole, hoping to catch them in less favourable terrain, but also the men of the villages and the surrounding areas. The women, children and the elderly have stayed behind, thinking that they will be spared by the operation. Shortly after Lydia and her cousin arrive, so do the Nazis. As they approach, three people are quick enough to escape from the back door of the church and hide in the surrounding woods. Then, the soldiers surround the church and close both doors. Once they have checked the area, they then enter and order the terrified people inside to come out. As they make their way out, one woman, Vittoria, remains seated. The soldiers grow impatient and shout at her to get moving. They kick the chair out from under her. She falls to the ground and when she starts shouting for help, one of the soldiers pulls out a pistol and kills her. Vittoria did not move because she was paralysed. She is the first victim of the massacre of Montesole. At this point, the priest, Don Ubaldo Marchioni, who has gone back in the church to help the paralysed woman, starts to argue with the soldiers. He moves to take out the Chiborium, which holds the hosts, the wafer used in the Holy Communion, which the church rules require to be taken away if the church is in danger. That is when the soldiers open fire and kill Don Marchioni. A bullet puts a hole in the cup, and it is only found in the ruins of the church forty years later. The priest was among the five other men of the church that died in those fateful days. The Bishop of Bologna, knowing about the growing danger, had offered them protection in the city. They had refused, preferring to stay with their flock. 
The rest of the group are told that they are to go down to the village of Cerpiano, but when they reach the crossroads, they are marched instead over to the local cemetery. When they arrive, the gate is locked, so a soldier has to shoot it open. The people are marched in, and made to line up against the chapel wall, the tallest in the back, and the shortest, the children, in the front. Lydia's cousin Giorgio really needs to go to the toilet at this point. So Lydia, not fully realizing what is going on, simply tells him to go over to the corner. As he moves away from the group, he is shot and killed. At fifteen years of age, he is the third victim of the massacre. At this point, two machine guns are set up. Seeing this, the mother of Cornelia Pazelli. Tells her little girls to recite a prayer, the act of contrition. Cornelia survived that day, but was not able to recite the prayer again for the rest of her life. The soldiers then kneel, not to take aim, but so they can shoot lower, making sure they hit the children. After the guns have started up, they also begin. To throw hand grenades. Lucia Sabioni, despite the chaos that followed, had one very clear memory of something flying up in the air. It was the arm of her baby sister, whom she was holding. Lydia, in a certain sense, is lucky. She is hit in the thigh, the bullet getting stuck in her bone. And as others fall around her, she is covered by their bodies. That is how she stays all day on the twenty-ninth of September, with the rain falling constantly. On the afternoon of the following day, a farmer comes back out of hiding and is looking for his family, and Lydia calls out to him. He finds his mother and tells Lydia that as soon as he has taken care of his mother, he will be back for her. The woman dies shortly after in her son's arms. He makes his way back, and removes the bodies that cover Lydia. She has survived. She would keep the bullet for the rest of her life. Hers will be one of the few voices that remain to tell the story. The massacre of Montesole, also known as that of Marzabotto, the name of the largest municipality in the area. Took place between the twenty ninth of September and the fifth of October, nineteen forty four. It was part of an operation ordered by Field Marshal Albert Kesselring to try and crush the partisan Stella Rossa Brigade, which had been operating successfully in the Apennine Mountains south of Bologna, along the Gothic line that divided the Nazis and fascists from the advancing Allied troops. The Nazis understood that they were losing. And were becoming desperate, and with desperation came panic, anger, and cruelty. The operation was assigned to Major Walter Reder of the 16th Armored Explorers Battalion of the Panzer Aufklärungsabteilung of the 16th SS Panzer Grenadier Division, Reichsführer SS. The Nazis and fascists. Had tried a military operation against the partisans during the summer, without success. 
Now, they turned to the local population who had, more or less willingly, been supporting the partisan group to punish them and eliminate the partisan base. The troops surrounded a large area of communities on the slopes of Montesole. The idea behind the operation was dictated by the Fuhrer himself. Indeed, he had declared, We must be cruel and we must be so with a clear conscience. We must destroy technically and scientifically. Another of the villages that was caught up in the ring of death was that of Cerpiano. In this case, it was the Nazis who rounded up the inhabitants of the village, leading them away from their homes and taking them all to the local church, where they shut them in. Shortly after that, a soldier opened the door and told the people inside that soon they would be dead. A few minutes later, an object crashed through the window of the church and exploded inside. Those that were killed instantly were lucky. The people there started to scream. They continued to do so, with the screams turning into groans that grew more and more quiet as the day drew on and moved into the night. They were accompanied by the droning of the rain and by a piano that one of the soldiers had found in a nearby house and had started playing. During that night, a woman started to shout out again and the soldiers entered and shot her. Her husband, her professor in the city of Bologna in the high school, tried to tell the Nazis that he was a fascist and he had the card to prove it. They told him that if he had been a fascist, a true fascist, he would not have been there in the first place and shot him. The next morning, the remaining survivors were also put out of their misery and their necklaces, bracelets, rings and golden teeth were collected and taken away by the soldiers. We know about the events here thanks to one of the three survivors, a nun called Antonietta Benni. The soldiers had felt her cold hand and thought she was dead. The other two survivors were a girl of seven who was overlooked since she was wrapped up in a shawl and a boy of nine who was covered up by the body of his mother. There were many other episodes in other villages in which people were killed in over 100 different locations. Sometimes up to about a hundred a time, like in the cemetery of Casaglia. Others in just ones or twos. When everything was over, on the 5th of October, around 770 people had been killed. Making it one of the worst single episodes perpetrated by the Nazis against the civilian population in Western Europe. The head of the operation, Reder, was captured by the British in Salzburg on the 5th of May 1945 and handed over to the Italian authorities. His trial started on the 18th of September 1951 in Bologna and lasted until the 31st of October. He was sentenced to life in prison. In 1967, a letter to the community of Marzabotto arrived asking for forgiveness for the SS commander. With a vote of 282 to 4, it was refused. He was later released on the 23rd of January, 1985, and denied ever sending the letter, claiming that his lawyer had done it. He died on the 2nd of May, 1991.
The massacre has not been forgotten. There are many streets and many towns as far away as Venice that bear the name of Martiri di Marzabotto, Martyrs of Marzabotto. There is a great memorial in Marzabotto now, on a beautiful hill overlooking the Po Valley, and many others in the areas in which the killings took place. Marzabotto was also in the news relatively recently. It was during a football match in one of the minor leagues. One of the players of the visiting teams, a certain Eugenio Maria Luppi, scored a goal and to celebrate he went over to the home team fans, raised his hand in a fascist salute and showed the shirt that he had under his jersey, a t-shirt of the Italian Social Republic. Mussolini's puppet regime Luckily, he was kicked off the team and not allowed to play for almost a year. Unfortunately, now he is back on another team. I mentioned his name so you could think about him in these next few days, as a symbol of what certain groups of people try to do with history. Eugenio Maria Luppi. That is his name. Unfortunately, he is only one of many. For those who point to the fact that the massacre was perpetrated by the Nazis to make the point that the fascist regime wasn't that bad, it is important to remember that many of the soldiers on those days spoke Italian. They were the soldiers of the Italian Social Republic and they had led the SS there as guides. On the 17th of October 1945 and on the 30th of September 1946 in Bergamo, the fascists involved were found guilty in court. What is remembered today could be forgotten tomorrow and it could become easier for people who say the fascists weren't that bad. Mussolini may have made some mistakes but he also did good things. That is why it is our job, mine and yours as listeners and lovers of history, real, true history, to not let that happen and to keep the memory alive. C'è un tempo scandito dal sole Che ci lascia senza parole C'è un tempo per ogni destino Appareggio di ogni dolore Un tempo scandito dal sole ogni destino poi c'è un tempo di ogni illusione che dura più a lungo nel cuore che ci lascia il sapore del pane e del miele il sapere del fare che ci lascia
Il tempo scandito dal sole può illuminare lacrime di sale. Il tempo scandito dal sole può illuminare polvere di terra. C'è un tempo per ogni destino, è un tempo ogni illusione ma il tempo scandito dal sole illumina lacrime come diamanti e polvere come polvere d'oro c'è un tempo per ogni destino tempo di ogni illusione, ma il tempo scandito dal sole ci lascia senza parole, il tempo scandito dal sole ci lascia senza parole. Scandito dal sole Ci lascia senza parole Sentire media Hey podcast producers and show hosts Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.